Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry, your hostess. Our topic of our Carmelite Conversation today is on St. Mary of Jesus Crucified. She's a discalced Carmelite nun, an extraordinary mystic, a poet, a saint, and an apostle of the Holy Spirit. We have her present with us in a first-class relic which has her actual hair in it. I have it here with me. So I'm asking St. Mary of Jesus crucified to please bless all of you who are hearing this presentation. So um, this first class relic was given to me by one of our Discalced Carmelite friars, Father Daniel Chowning, at the OCDS Congress in Columbus, Ohio in 2018. Our ongoing formation group had previously studied about St. Mary of Jesus crucified in 2016, unbeknownst to Father Chowning. I was at the Congress and I personally hoped that I'd get to have a personal conversation with Father Chowning at the Congress. And here uh, I find that the Congress is almost over and our paths never crossed. Then lo and behold, I look up and here comes Father Channing walking straight toward me. And he's holding a big white object. And it was the relic wrapped in white paper. He told me he felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to give this relic to me. I was so humbled and astounded and, and speechless. Um, I'm so grateful to have St. Mary Jesus crucified here with me. As of this year, 2022, it was 155 years ago on June 15th that St. Mary of Jesus Crucified entered the doors of Carmel. Despite her canonization in May, May 17th of 2015, there's so much more to learn about this great saint. I'm hopeful there will be lots more books published about her because there's only a few in English. Um, I have one in French, but since I don't know French, um, I'm hoping that somebody soon will um, transcribe it. St. Mary of Jesus Crucified was born Miriam Biority. I'll be referring to her as Miriam in this presentation since I'm going to focus on her childhood. Miriam is known as the flower from the Holy Land. Also, the little Arab, because she was the first Arab to be canonized. She's also called the little one. And one of my favorite nicknames for her is the little nothing, which shows her great humility. She's also known as a prophet, an evangelist, an apostle of the Holy Spirit. And she was beatified by St. Pope John Paul II on the 13th of November in 1983. He called her the patron of peace for the Holy Land. So important. And as I mentioned, she was canonized on May 17, 2015 by Pope Francis. I remember we had um, a secular order of discussed Carmelite meeting that day it was on a Sunday. And I was just so excited about her canonization. The name Miriam means star of the sea and grace. It's also a Latin variation of Mary. Hebrew sources say it means bitter, and other sources say it means wished for child or beloved. It's a possible derivation from the Hebrew Mara, which means to be rebellious. That's interesting. 
But how fitting are all of these descriptions to the life of Miriam? You'll soon find out why those all fit. Can we see here in her name an indication by the Holy Spirit of her future calling? I think so. One of her novice mistresses wrote about Miriam, quote, This dear child has an extraordinary devotion to the Holy Spirit, and she speaks of him, it is with burning expressions, and her whole exterior is lit up by it. In one ecstasy, she heard this prayer, which has gone around the world, end of quote. So I'd like to start now with this opening prayer. So please join me in signing yourself in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, inspire me. Love of God, consume me. Along the true road, lead me. Mary, my mother, look upon me. With Jesus, bless me. From all evil, from all illusion, from all danger, preserve me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are three main sources that I used three books, Miriam the Little Arab by Amadi Bruneau, B-R-U-N-O-T. The second one was Miriam of Bethlehem, the Little Arab by Sister Emmanuel Mallard. And it's an easy read. And she's got some nuggets in there that are not in the other books. So I really enjoyed that. And then one that has lots of her quotes that, that the nuns beside her wrote down when she was in ecstasy. And it's called Thoughts. Blessed Mary of Jesus Crucified by Reverend D. Buzzy, B-U-Z-Y. So what do you think would be the future for a little girl who was orphaned at three years old, both parents dying, taken in by an uncle who, when she would not submit to a prearranged marriage at the age of 12, treated her like a Cinderella, a maidservant with the hardest jobs, the worst food, and the harshest treatment, who was mortally attacked, having her neck slashed and left for dead, but recovered miraculously, and then living and traveling all on her own from the age of 13 on for a good seven years, very poor, homeless, uneducated, illiterate, raspy voice, no contact with any relatives because her only living brother was only a year old when they were separated. What do you think her future might hold? Well, we have a God of surprises. This little child became one of the great mystics of our discalced Carmelite order, very much like St. Padre Pio for those who are more familiar with him. This child that I spoke of is our dear St. Mary of Jesus crucified. Yes, she became a discalced Carmelite nun when she was 20. She was also the foundress of three convents, one in Bethlehem, one in Nazareth, and a, a co-foundress in another one. She's an extraordinary mystic and saint. Today, though, we are going to focus on her childhood and her devotion to the Holy Spirit. Most people are interested in all the extraordinary mystical phenomena she had, which, which is quite amazing. Apparitions and visions, ecstasy. Levitation so high that she was on the very tip of tree leaves. The stigmata, the transpiercing of the heart, prophecies, bilocation. And here's an interesting one. Angelic and demonic possession. 
I think we'll learn a lot from that someday. But I think if we look at her childhood through the lens of the Holy Spirit, we will learn much about how she was formed to become this great saint and how she radiated the Holy Spirit and how beautifully responsive she was to the Holy Spirit. So how did she get from being a poor little orphan girl to becoming this great mystic and saint? You see, nothing is impossible to God. And Miriam surprised lots of people. She truly became a radiance of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by this description, radiance of the Holy Spirit? How did this transformation come about? No doubt by the Holy Spirit and the total gift of self by St. Mary of Jesus crucified to him. Let us examine her childhood. For your information, I've added several questions, um, alias personal spiritual challenges throughout this conversation to help you in reflecting on your own life as you learn about Miriam. Miriam's family was Lebanese, originally from Damascus, Syria, and belonged to the Greek Melkite Catholic Rite. They lived in a small village called Abilene in the hill country of Galilee, Palestine, halfway between Nazareth and Haifa. They were poor, but hardworking. Their last name was Beority, which means powder. Her father manufactured powder. Little did he know that the powder coming from his daughter, Miriam, would be so explosive mystically that she would become a great Carmelite saint. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us clues, right? I'm thinking of powder. I'm thinking of Miriam as the gunpowder of the Holy Spirit shot in the dark, a shot, a radiance of the Holy Spirit in the darkness of the church. Her birth was rather miraculous. Her parents had previously lost 12 sons in infancy. Can you imagine the kind of grief they had? Still, hoping for a child, they went by foot over 170 kilometers, which is like 105 miles, on pilgrimage to Bethlehem, to the Grotto of the Nativity, fervently praying all along the way with great faith and hope for a daughter. Miriam's mother said, quote, let us go to Bethlehem on foot and ask the Blessed Virgin for a daughter. Let us promise her that if our prayers are answered, we will name her Miriam, and will offer for the service of God a quantity of wax equal to her weight when she is three years old. Guess what? Miriam was born nine months later on January 5th, 1846, on the eve of Epiphany. Epiphany means manifestation. Isn't that another nice Holy Spirit clue? I question you. How many times can you think of that a saint was born or died on a specific day that contributed or accented their particular vocation. I can think of St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, born on 12 October on the Feast of Atonement, who died in Auschwitz, atoning for sin. St. Pope John Paul II, introducing the Divine Mercy devotion, and here he is, dying on the vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday. The Lord speaks to us through these things. 
Only 10 days after Miriam's birth, she was both baptized and confirmed on the same day, all in accordance with the Melkite Greek Catholic rite. Take note, here's a double portion of the Holy Spirit outpoured upon her. In my mind, yet another indication of the future of this great saint. And you remember how much we Carmelites like double portions. Two years later, Miriam's baby brother was born. He was named Bulos or Paul. This tiny family only had a short time together. When Miriam was only three years old, both her mother and father died within just a few days of each other. Her father's last words while looking at a picture of St. Joseph were, quote, St. Joseph, I, the father of this child, am going to depart, but I consecrate to you my child. Be her father, be her father. Then he addressed himself to the Blessed Mother and said, I consecrate my child to you. Be her mother. Watch over her always. End of quote. This consecration is another indication of being open to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A maternal aunt took baby Paul into her home. A paternal uncle adopted Miriam. The sister and brother were never to see each other again, although Marion had made several attempts. So I question you, have you consecrated your children, your grandchildren to the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph? Perhaps it was Miriam's parents' prayer that set her sailing toward holiness. Never underestimate the power of a heartfelt prayer. Miriam dwelled in the comfortable home of her uncle, receiving all the proper care and attention one could want. However, she never attended school. That was the custom of the day that the girls did not go to school. So she was illiterate, not knowing how to read or write. She only learned a little bit once she became a nun, and it was challenging because she'd mix up her Arabic and French all the time, both in her speech and in her writing. But this absence of education perhaps only heightened her consciousness of the interior life and desire for prayer and reflection. This is another example of how the Holy Spirit acts, making good come out of any lack we have. Her mystical life of grace and devotion to the Holy Spirit began at a young age. As a child, she experienced the beauty of creation. For her, everything spoke of God. She loved being outdoors. She was known to be a dreamer, a very thoughtful, introspective child, much like some of our other Carmelite saints. I'm thinking of St. Therese, the little flower. You know, getting out in nature has a way of helping us to breathe in the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling in your spirit, your prayer life, get out in nature, take a walk, get immersed in God's beauty. It will help. Think of how many of our Carmelite saints were influenced by God's beauty in the world around them. I'm thinking of St. Teresa of Avila, how many times she would use the elements of nature for um, a teaching point on the spiritual life. There was an incident in Miriam's life about two small birds in her childhood that revealed a significant insight into the way her character was being formed. It clearly indicated the direction of her future life. 
Miriam was playing in her uncle's orchard where she loved to be. She kept a small cage filled with small birds. It was given to her as a gift. One day, she wanted to give them a bath. Despite her childlike, well-intentioned efforts, the birds died from drowning. Their death broke her heart. Grief-stricken, she began to bury them. When suddenly, deep inside, she heard a clear voice say, quote, This is how everything passes. If you will give me your heart, I shall always remain with you. End of quote. This made a deep impression on her, and she would never forget it. Here, the Holy Spirit teaches her the great lesson of detachment and of the presence of God within her. It kind of reminds me of St. Teresa of Avila's famous bookmark, which goes, let nothing disturb you, nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Nothing is wanting to him who possesses God. God alone suffices. Well, building upon that experience, it, it shouldn't surprise us to learn that one of her favorite childhood games was digging graves in the garden with her little hands and then stretching out in them, preparing for her own death. How often have you thought of your own death? How well are you prepared for your own death? The death of Miriam's parents, the knowledge of the death of 12 brothers before her, the death of the little birds, the voice about everything passing, an Ecclesiastes lesson, all of these events struck her deeply. She became forever a champion of detachment. She had solidly learned to keep her focus on heavenly things and became extremely docile to and dependent on the Holy Spirit. Even though Miriam's adopted parents wanted to dress her in nice clothes, she would often echo the voice she heard earlier and say, quote, everything passes here on earth. What are we? Nothing, dust, nothingness. And God is so great, so beautiful, so lovable, and he is not loved, end of quote. She did not care about clothes. She would then say to herself, quote, how can you dream of adorning yourself in such a way, you little bit of dust, destined one day to become the food of worms, end of quote. It's clearly manifest how the Holy Spirit had already detached her from earthly values and had kept her humble. She had such great humility. Of course, this humility attracts even more graces from God. So I ask you, how are you exercising detachment in your life? What earthly values do I still need to surrender? How am I growing in humility? How am I be in being docile to the Holy Spirit? Am I listening for the Holy Spirit? Do I think about that? Well, here's another story. One night, Miriam had a prophetic dream about a, a man coming to her uncle's house to offer a fish to his family. But she saw that the fish was poisoned and that the man wanted to kill the family. When she woke up, lo and behold, the man she saw in her dreams appeared at the front door and she recognized him. But the family happily received the fish. But Marion pleaded with him, no, don't eat that fish, it's poison. We're all going to die. Her family made fun of her. 
Marion continued to plead with them not to eat it. She wouldn't stop. She wouldn't give up. She then cried out through her tears that she should take the first bite, happy to sacrifice herself for the others. If they saw her die, then they wouldn't eat the fish. Well, at this, the family decided finally they should inspect the fish. So they cut it open, and indeed, it was poisoned as it had swallowed a viper. Isn't this a great witness of a person with self-sacrificial love, but also a witness of listening to and being guided by the Holy Spirit through that prophetic dream? Were there any instances in your childhood where you felt tugged by the Holy Spirit to do a selfless action? Have you had any prophetic dreams that were then realized? How's the Holy Spirit been leading and guiding you? Now let's turn to Miriam's practices and devotions. From the early age of five, Miriam fasted every Saturday, taking only the evening meal, always hiding her fasting from others. She also made a point of eating the things she liked the least and rejecting the other more favorable dishes. When have, when have I tried that? How can I improve in the area of fasting? Am I committed to fasting in any way? Miriam would also gather flowers to place before the icon of the Blessed Virgin. One time, the cut flowers had taken root in the vase. It was seen as a miracle, but to keep her humble, the pastor scolded her as though her sins were responsible for this phenomena. There were many occasions in Miriam's life where flowers played a significant role. From the age of seven, Miriam went to confession every Saturday, weekly confession. Isn't that amazing? Here we seem to feel like we're so holy when we recommend just monthly confessions. But Miriam, so dedicated, so disciplined, went to confession every Saturday. And she already had a torturous hunger for the Eucharist. She'd ask her confessor weekly for the favor of receiving communion. One time the confessor said nothing and Miriam took that to mean her request was granted. And so she went up to receive the Eucharist, seeing Jesus himself under the appearance of a most beautiful child in the consecrated host. What great holy boldness, right? Her formal communion did not occur until five years later. So I ask you, how often do you go to confession? How committed to holiness are you? How hungry are you to receive Jesus in the Eucharist? What can you do to increase your hunger for Jesus? No doubt Miriam really paid attention to her priest and the homilies and mass. Since she was illiterate and didn't study, this was one way she learned and she soaked it in, no doubt, and had great guidance from her priests. When Miriam was eight years old, her uncle and the family left Palestine and settled in Alexandria, Egypt. When she was 12 then, it was customary and her uncle followed the custom and betrothed her to her aunt's brother, 
And this was a common custom among Middle Eastern Christians. Miriam was shocked and very sad about this because previously at the age of five, she had privately decided in her heart that she would never belong to anyone but Jesus. The family set the wedding date and the ceremony was soon to occur. Miriam had received the engagement ring and was clothed in an expensive dress with jewels. She couldn't sleep that night because she was in such anguish. And of course she prayed. Then she heard a familiar voice that she had heard before in the garden of Abilene. Quote, everything passes. If you wish to give me your heart, I will always remain with you. End of quote. Miriam spent the night before her wedding in prayer before an icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Having dozed off for a moment, she heard another voice murmur, quote, Miriam, I am with you. Follow the inspiration I shall give you. I will help you. End of quote. Upon awakening, Miriam was inspired to cut her long braids and wrapped them with the jewels she had received from her fiance to be returned. She rebelled against her uncle and stated firmly that she wanted to remain a virgin consecrated to Jesus Christ. Her uncle screamed and raged at her, slapped her and beat her, but nothing would change Miriam's mind. Even when they called the confessor in to convince her that she was disgracing her family by refusing obedience to her guardian whom she owed everything, Nothing moved Miriam. She was committed to being all for Jesus. Her uncle then gave her the Cinderella treatment, treating her as a slave, giving her the hardest work and humiliating her, showing no affection toward her, only scorn, persecuting her over and over. The drama lasted three long months, but this trial only strengthened Miriam's ties and reliance on God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When has adversity strengthened your reliance on God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Trials have a way of giving us that opportunity to be strengthened and purified. Well, three months later, desirous of seeing her brother Polus, she went to find a Muslim man who had formerly been a house servant to her uncle who she heard was going to go to Nazareth near her brother. She wanted to ask him to help her get a dictated letter to her brother, who was now in Galilee. The Muslim, after hearing about her family's ill treatment of her, said she should convert to Islam. Miriam responded, quote, Muslim? No, never. I am a daughter of the Catholic Apostolic Roman Church, and I hope by the grace of God to persevere until death in my religion, which is the only true one. End of quote. Her faith-filled response infuriated him, and unable to control himself, he slashed her throat. Believing her to be dead, he wrapped her in a cloak, and with the help of his wife and mother, deposited her body in a dark, abandoned alley. The date? was the eve of September the 8th, 1858, the Blessed Virgin Mary's birthday. This date was another clue of her ties to heaven, was it not? Well, did Miriam really die? Later in life, 
Miriam said she really did die. And when asked by the mistress of novices, when she had joined the convent, if she had undergone the particular judgment, Miriam replied, quote, oh, no, but I found myself in heaven. Wow, a near-death experience, right? She said, I saw the Blessed Virgin, the angels, and the saints receiving me with a great kindness. And I also saw my parents in their company. I saw the brilliant throne of the Most Holy Trinity and Jesus Christ in his humanity. No sun, no lamp, but everything was bright with light. Then someone said to me, you are a virgin, it is true, but your book is not finished. End of quote. Miriam then found herself in a grotto with a nun dressed in blue, whom later in life she would identify as the Blessed Virgin Mary. Miriam had said, quote, a nun dressed in blue picked me up and stitched my throat wound. This happened in a grotto somewhere, end of quote. This mysterious nun took great care of her with much tenderness. Toward the end of her care, the nurse outlined Miriam's life program. This was the prophecy given her. Quote, you will never see your family again. You will go to France where you'll be, become a religious. You will be a child of St. Joseph before becoming a daughter of St. Teresa. You will receive the habit of Carmel in one house. You will make your profession in a second, and you will die in a third at Bethlehem. End of quote. Although Miriam was given this prophecy about her life, she didn't seek to make it happen. When she found that these things actually occurred, she then remembered being told it would happen. And this is the way the Holy Spirit works sometimes with souls. Has that ever happened to you? When you were given an inspiration about something that was going to happen, but then thought no more about it until it was fulfilled, what was the significance of that realization? Sometime later, Miriam recounted to her spiritual director, quote, I know now that the religious who cared for me after my martyrdom was the Blessed Virgin, end of quote. Yes. She truly died a martyr, but was sent back to earth because her book wasn't finished. As a result of her neck being slashed, Miriam's voice was always hoarse. She had a deep cut. Even in death, the doctors examined her and saw the cartilage missing. The scar marked the whole front of her neck and measured about 10 centimeters in length and one centimeter in width. After Miriam was cured, the nun in blue, the Blessed Virgin Mary, took her to a church of St. Catherine in Alexandria, where she went to confession. When Miriam came out of the confessional, though, she saw that the lady had left nowhere to be found. She turned to the priest then, and he helped Miriam get hired on as a domestic servant, for she could not go back to her uncle's home. From then on, for about seven years, Miriam moved about from town to town, looking for humble work as a servant to support herself. 
When she would end up in a new place, she always seemed to go to the church to ask the priest to help her. If she began to feel attached to the family that she served, she would leave, again, practicing great detachment. Once she served a wealthy family, but promptly left to serve a family that was reduced to misery by illness. She was always trying to help others less fortunate. She lived as one of the poor with only one dress to her name. Now I'm going to skip over a great portion of her life because I want to focus on her teachings of the Holy Spirit. But I encourage you to go and read the, the books that I had mentioned earlier because there's so much to learn about her life. So um, Miriam did eventually join uh, a convent of St. Joseph, and after that, a convent of St. Teresa of Avila. Miriam was happy in the community and was made most welcome for her simplicity and her hardworking attitude. Apart from the events of everyday life, other more unusual phenomena were observed, such as raptures and stigmata. So this happened once she joined um, the religious life. After two years of postulancy in St. Joseph's, it was decided that she should be sent away. They weren't going to accept her. One reason was that they felt these external, extraordinary phenomena were not suited to the um, the life of a, an active community, but was more suited for a cloistered community. So Miriam was encouraged to apply to the Carmel of Paul, where she was received as a lay, lay sister because she was illiterate. And she was given the name St. Mary of Jesus Crucified. Mother Elijah, her novice mistress, testified about her, quote, I can but paint a half portrait. It would take another pen more skillful than mine to describe this beautiful soul. Her ingenuousness, simplicity, humility, generosity, charity, and her love for God and neighbor. Her long suffering and trials, her faith in God, her constancy in waging battle with the foe who never leaves her alone. Her love for the hidden life, so common and ordinary. One would have to live with and follow this child to get an idea of her. So there's so much more we could bring up about her life. But as I said, I want to focus now on our teachings of the Holy Spirit. Because after us, she was called an apostle of the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit so much. During Miriam's life, the church at large did not focus on the Holy Spirit very much. God used Miriam to bring to the fore, to accent that which the church was in most need. In the 19th century, Satan was talked about more than the Holy Spirit, who was then an unknown God. So alas, St. Mary of Jesus crucified appears on the scene and is a masterpiece of the Holy Spirit. St. Basil, an Eastern theologian, describes souls filled with the Holy Spirit, which I think is a very fitting description of St. Mary of Jesus crucified. He said, quote, like clear and transparent objects, when a ray of light strikes them, they themselves become resplendent and send out another light from themselves. In the same way, souls in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, illumined by the Spirit, become spiritual themselves and shed light on others, end of quote. 
This is why I refer to Miriam as a radiance of the Holy Spirit. She appears as an effect and as a reflection of the Holy Spirit. And she's still very active today. She's a wonderful example of how to be docile to the Holy Spirit. The practice of detachment is what makes docility to the Holy Spirit possible. We must detach ourselves from our own willfulness, our own preferences, and our own satisfactions. We must subject ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit. And all is a great grace. What specifically will enable inspirations of the Holy Spirit to take place in us? What conditions are conducive to being receptive to the Holy Spirit? I have 10 suggestions that come from Father Jacques Philippe in his book, In the School of the Holy Spirit. Miriam practiced all of these things. Let me list them. Number one, practice praise and thanksgiving. Number two, desire and ask for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Number three, resolve to refuse God nothing. Have a determined determination to obey God in everything. Number four, practice filial and trusting obedience. Each act of faithfulness to grace attracts new graces. Number five, practice abandonment. Accepting all as being willed or permitted by God. Number six, practice detachment, not hanging on to anything, either materially, effectively, or even spiritually. Number seven, practice silence and peace in order to better hear the spirit of God. Number eight, persevere faithfully in prayer, which is indispensable to progressing in union with God. Number nine, examine the movements of your heart, practicing discernment. And number 10, open your heart candidly to a spiritual director. Miriam radiated in a striking manner the active presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. It was the Holy Spirit who gave her the gift of contemplation and communicated to her a vivid consciousness of the presence of God within. Her sensibility enabled her to discover and feel the presence of God in every creature, in every person, and in every event. Everything was a sign for her. Everything was a grace. Everything was the word of God. In an era when the Holy Spirit was the divine unknown, St. Mary of Jesus crucified was his prophet and evangelist, through her extraordinary devotion to the Holy Spirit. Miriam called on the Holy Spirit for everything and every decision, every problem needing solved in any trial in all places, she called on the Holy Spirit. When have you called on the Holy Spirit? How frequently do you call on the Holy Spirit? Is this something we can improve on? In November of 1877, Miriam would pray to the Holy Spirit. Quote, it is you who enable us to understand Jesus. Come, my consolation. Come, my joy. Come, my peace, my strength, my light. Come, give me light to find the spring where I may be refreshed. One drop of you is enough for me to show me Jesus as he is. Jesus said that you would come to the ignorant. I am the foremost of the ignorant ones. I ask you for no other science or wisdom than the signs of finding Jesus. 
and the wisdom of keeping him. And I felt the fire slightly kindled in my heart. The Holy Spirit does not refuse me anything. End of quote. On another occasion, Miriam said about the Holy Spirit, quote, the time of prayer does not end without his coming in one way or another, end of quote. Oh, wow, what great confidence. And what a great intercessor for us to help us be in tune with the Holy Spirit. I hope that encourages you to pray to the Holy Spirit more fervently. One time, Miriam saw a dove before her, and above it, an overflowing chalice, as if there was a spring within it. And the overflow watered the dove and washed it. At the same time, she heard a voice coming out from this most admirable light saying, quote, if you wish to seek me, to know me and to follow me, invoke the light, the Holy Spirit who enlightened the disciples and who enlightens all who call. That person's conscience will be as a delicate as a flower of the fields. He is the father or mother of a family. Peace will reign in his family, and he will have peace in his heart, in this world and in the next. He will not die in darkness, but in peace. End of quote. And to priests, Jesus gave to Miriam this message, very important. Quote, and this is Jesus speaking to Miriam. I ardently desire that priests say a mass each month in honor of the Holy Spirit. Whoever will say it or hear it will be honored by the Holy Spirit himself. He will have light. He will have peace. He will cure the sick. He will awaken those who are asleep. As proof of this, all those who say or participate in this mass or invoke the Holy Spirit will not do so without experiencing this peace in the depths of their souls. They will not die in darkness. End of quote. Jesus also told Miriam that, quote, the day is coming when Satan, in the person of laymen, priest, and religious, will imitate the ways and words of our Lord. But the deception will be evident to him who invokes the Holy Spirit. We want true followers, right? Heaven ordered Miriam to convey to the patriarch of Jerusalem, Bishop Bracco, the recommendation for him to have a devotion to the Holy Spirit. At her request, he erected an altar to the Holy Spirit in his cathedral. In January of 1876, with the sense that there was a war coming, the Balkans, she begged the patriarch to have the Vini Creator Spiritus, recited each day. That's the come Holy Spirit. Um, that's the sequence that the Catholic Church uses at Easter. She later also requested the novena to the Holy Spirit. So I asked, what devotions to the Holy Spirit do I have? What devotions can I take on? Miriam then felt compelled to inform Pope Pius IX through the intermediary of the patriarch a message which said, and this is Miriam's de delivered message, quote, the world and religious communities are seeking novelties and devotions, and they are neglecting true devotion to the paraclete. That is why there is error and disunion, and why there is no peace or light. They do not invoke light as it should be invoked. 
and it is this light that gives knowledge of truth. It is neglected even in seminaries. Every person in the world that will invoke the Holy Spirit and have devotion to him will not die in air. Every priest that preaches this devotion will receive light while he is speaking of it to others. I was told that each priest in the whole world should be required to say one mass of the Holy Spirit each month, and all those who assist at it will receive very special great grace and light. Wow, what great promise heaven's giving us if we are devoted to the Holy Spirit. And how about asking our priests in our own um, churches, um, our own diocese, you know, how about they have a mass each month to the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Miriam died in the Carmelite convent she founded in Bethlehem, just like the lady in blue, our Blessed Virgin Mary, had prophesied to her. And this date was on August the 26th, 1878, which is the feast of the transverberation of the heart of St. Teresa of Avila. Miriam died at 5.10 a.m. while the Angelus was being sung. Such great Marian devotion that's even reflected in her death. The church celebrates Miriam's feast on August 26th, but our Discalce Carmelite Order celebrates it the day before, on August 25th. Why is that? Because on August 26th, the Discalce Carmelite Order celebrates the feast of the transverberation of Holy Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Avila. So it seems that the Holy Spirit also accented Miriam's death by drawing attention to her heart, like the heart of Holy Mother Teresa, both being transpierced. Not long after Miriam's death, Pope Leo XIII in 1895 prescribed the novena to the Holy Spirit as a preparation to the Feast of Pentecost. On December 31st, 1899, Pope Leo XIII also consecrated the entire church to the Holy Spirit. Would that we would renew that every year. Perhaps Miriam influenced the Pope through her prayers and petitions. As I said earlier, St. Mary of Jesus crucified was beatified by Pope St. John Paul II on the 13th of November, 1983, and then canonized by Pope Francis on September, um, excuse me, on 17 May, 2015. And here's what Pope Francis said about St. Mary of Jesus crucified in his homily at his, um, at the canonization mass for her. Quote, from this eternal love between the Father and the Son poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, coming from Romans 5, 5, our mission and our fraternal communion draw strength. This love is the ever-flowing source of our joy in following the Lord along the path of his poverty, his virginity, and his obedience. And this same love calls us to cultivate contemplative prayer. Sister Marian Boardy experienced this in an outstanding way. Poor and uneducated, she was able to counsel others and provide theological explanations with extreme clarity. The fruit of her constant converse with the Holy Spirit. Her docility to the Spirit also made her a means of encounter and fellowship with the Muslim world. 
end of quote. So much needed, right? Indeed, Miriam, St. Mary of Jesus crucified, manifested in a powerful way the active presence of the Holy Spirit in her life and in the church, a radiance of the Holy Spirit. She was thoroughly infused by the Holy Spirit, spreading his light, his life, and his love to all that she met. She indeed was an evangelist of the Holy Spirit. By her charisms, but even more so by her wisdom, her wisdom shared and her heroic virtues displayed. She was and still is an active radiance of the Holy Spirit. May she intercede for us. And now I'd like to close with a prayer that St. Mary of Jesus crucified Miriam had prayed. It was one that uh, was recorded while she was in ecstasy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, enlighten me. What must I do and how should I act to find Jesus? The disciples were very ignorant. They were with Jesus, but they did not understand him. I too am in the house of Jesus, and I do not understand Jesus at all. The least thing troubles me, upsets me. I am too sensitive. I do not have enough generosity to make sacrifices for Jesus. Almost, Holy Spirit, when you send forth the ray of light, the disciples were transformed. They were no longer what they had been before. Their strength had been renewed. Offering sacrifices became easy. They then got to know Jesus better than they had ever known him when he was among them. Source of peace and light, come and enlighten me. I am hungry, come and feed me. I am thirsty, come and quench my thirst. I am blind, come and enlighten me. I am poor, come and enrich me. I am ignorant, come and instruct me. Holy Spirit, I abandon myself to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. St. Mary of Jesus crucified, please pray for us. I hope by focusing on St. Mary of Jesus crucified, Miriam's childhood, that you could see how important it is to have foundational life in God and how profitable it is and how we can be encouragers and inspirers and um, help others to grow in prayer and devotion to the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to listen to some of the other podcasts that Carmelite Conversations has done on St. Mary of Jesus Crucified. I know Mark Danis and several other Carmelites, I think Marika Zimmerman and others have um, been with me to discuss her life. And um, there's so much to learn. And I know that she will be a topic in the future. So I thank you for being a part of our Carmelite conversations. And I hope and pray that um, St. Mary of Jesus crucified becomes one of your greatest intercessors. God bless you.